Hello and welcome to the Bippity Podcast. My name is Alexis and I'm a motivational speaker, master mindset coach, and founder of the International Women's Support Network, the Bippity Club. I am here to help you achieve your goals by motivating you to overcome your obstacles and become the woman you've always dreamed of becoming. Together, we will slay your dragon, escape from your castle, and create the life you've always wanted. My goal in this podcast is to inspire you to transcend your limitations and become the next best version of yourself. I know you will get so much value from this podcast, so thank you for pushing play today. Now let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Bippity Boppity Bankrolls podcast. I am so excited and honored because today I have a very special guest with us. I have Mary Jean with Ottawa Princess Parties all the way from Canada. Hi, Mary Jean. How are you, my love? Hi there. I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And you've been such an important part of the Bippity platform for so long. I know that you and I have been keeping contact for like three years now. So I'm excited to finally have you on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Sounds good. <laughs> of course. Okay. So let's just dive right into it. I know we talked about this a little bit before we started recording today, but let's go ahead and go into your most recent successful event, which was your charitable event that you just hosted last November. Yes. Yeah. End of November. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So can you tell me a little bit about that event, why you decided to throw it and how it went overall? Yeah, for sure. So it's called the snowball. Um, and it was a frozen themed charity ball. We did it for the charity Make-A-Wish. Um, so there's a Make-A-Wish branch in Canada as well as the US. So we're in Canada, it was for Make-A-Wish Canada. And uh, so that's a charity that grants wishes to children who are having critical illnesses. And so what we did is we had a charity ball and we had the, all the frozen characters. So Elsa, Anna, Olaf, Kristoff. And then we did some uh, lots of activities during the event. So we did character meet and greet, of course, which was the what people were most excited about. And I, I a lot of the parent feedback was like, oh, we love meeting the characters. Our kids were over the moon. And uh, then we also did other activities like crafts. We had a bubble house photo booth. We had treats. We had um, games, songs with the characters. So it was kind of a, it was a really fun afternoon. It was, um, yeah, definitely a really popular event. So I'm really, really glad that it was so successful. Wow. And, mm -hmm. That sounds amazing. So so I really want to dive into that further. Now, you yeah. said that you worked with Make-A-Wish on this event. Does that mean that this is an event that you hosted with Make-A-Wish or did you put on this event in honor of Make-A-Wish? Yeah, so I put the event on in honor of them. So we, um, we sold tickets and arranged all of that. And then we put the proceeds all to make a wish. So after covering the expenses, they, uh, they got all the profits basically. Wow. That's incredible. And tell me a little bit about the bubble house. Cause I've, I've obviously, I want to ask you so many questions about the event because it's yeah, sure. a topic that so many other entertainers around the world are so interested in because there's so many facets of throwing an event. So one of those facets mm -hmm. is obviously entertainment. So tell me about this bubble house. Yeah. So that's like this big sort of, um, ball that's like blown up and there's balloons inside and they have a um uh this thing that blows air in it so the balloons go all around and then the kids just go in and have fun so it's just a really fun addition to um to an event for the kids to go in and uh we were actually really lucky because the 
bubble house company, they actually donated the bubble house for the event. Um, so that was one of the things that I wanted to mention that there's a lot of companies that were able to donate their services since it was for charity. And so it just made the event extra special. So the bubble house was donated. The venue was actually donated, which I was really, really happy about because uh, if I had to pay for the venue, I really wouldn't be able to make much for Make-A-Wish at all because venues are super expensive. <laughs> they really, it, it would make the event almost impossible if I didn't have the venue donated. Um, also the photo booth that was totally donated and photographers, they, uh, they didn't do totally donate their time, but they gave a really big discount. So wow. a lot of businesses are really willing to step up when you do a charity event. So if I had just hosted this event just myself, I, you know, it probably wouldn't have been possible. So sometimes you kind of do need to do a charity event um, if you want to host a really big event and make it actually worthwhile. That's such a good advice because I know because I've actually had the conversation about throwing, you know, the royal balls that we princesses see all the time. And it's such a con like conflicting decision to make because you know the amount of expenses that go into throwing a royal ball if you don't have someone that's either willing to contribute a venue or you're not partnered with someone that has a venue then it makes it really difficult if you're renting out a venue in order to still cover your costs so that being said when did you decide that you wanted to throw the ball so i decided like the last summer and i really i actually started planning it at the end of august so uh, I had quite a few months to secure the venue, secure all the different uh, suppliers and everything. So you really have to start thinking really far <laughs> in advance. Um, and I don't think that was too early. It would it would made it so that it wasn't really stressful and rushed at the last minute, um, especially because we also did a raffle. So that was the other thing for that local businesses donated to. Uh, and so it took a while to you know collect the raffle prizes, get businesses to donate things. Um, but it was really great because a lot of businesses just donated complete things completely free, like free tickets to uh, show, free toys from toy stores, and um, yeah, it was uh, it, it worked out really well. And the the raffle was actually quite successful. That was actually the first time I did a raffle, and um, yeah, so I definitely suggest uh, if you're doing a special event to do a raffle because you can actually make quite a lot of money from the tickets there. And so we donated all the ticket co um, costs to make a wish. Um, but even if you're doing uh, just a regular event, not for charity, then, you know, some it's probably a good idea to try to do a raffle as well. That'll help make up the cost for venues and, and other expenses. Amazing. So can you tell me a little bit about, so you started planning three to four months in advance to the actual event date. Can you tell me a little bit about the party planning process? So what were some of the things that you had to worry about first? And as far as, you know, if you were to give someone a checklist on the types of things that they need to worry about when planning this type of event, where would they start? Yeah, for sure. So there's definitely a lot of things to think about at the start. I would say um, deciding what like if you're doing it for charity, well, what charity you want to support? Because when you reach out to places like venues um, and other suppliers, they want to know what you're supporting. Uh, so that was kind of the first step, just deciding which charity. And since we're a princess party company, obviously wanted to do a children's charity and make a wish kind of was a natural one because we like making wishes come true and making dreams come true. So it kind of fit the theme. Um, and then finding a venue and uh, a good date. So that's that's kind of the main thing because um, most places aren't willing to completely donate their venue for this because 
the expenses are really big for them as well. Like they have to maintain it, they have to have staff and everything. So uh, if you can find a venue that is willing to donate, that's ideal. <laughs> and for that, you really have to start thinking quite a few months in advance because they're planning things like weddings and baby showers and, and other big events like for the whole year. So that's, that, that would be one of the first things to think about for sure. And which event or which venue did you end up going with? Uh, so it's called Orchard View Wedding and Event Center. So they mostly do weddings. So it's a really beautiful venue. They have like this big, um, I wouldn't really necessarily call it ballroom, but like a big event space. And uh, it was, they have chandeliers and everything. So it was kind of perfect for for the event, for the our event that we did. And they also had a little stage area. So it was slightly raised. It wasn't like a huge, a uh, huge stage, but uh, it was really good for when the characters were doing like a story time and singing some songs. So having like a sort of raised area for the characters is really ideal, if possible. Absolutely. Was, uh, yeah, I had contacted quite a few venues and uh, a lot of them were willing to give a huge discount, which was really great. But <laughs> this one was willing to completely donate the venue because it was for charity. So that was that was the one I went with. Incredible. And so once you secured the venue location, what did you start looking at next? So I started looking at like the main suppliers, like who would, would be like providing like say like a bubble house and decorations. And um, also we did a photo booth uh, and then just seeing which businesses would be able to donate that because um, not all businesses are able to donate that. And I totally get that because, you know, if people had asked me to donate, like, you know, multiple characters for many hours, I probably would have said I could do it at a discount, but not, not totally for free, um, even for charity, because it is a big expense. Um, but yeah, so contacting places like photo booths, uh, decorations. So we had this like balloon arch and this little backdrop. And so they were willing to donate that, which was great. Uh, the bubble house, like I mentioned before, I don't know if bubble, bubble houses are a thing where everyone lives, but um, there are a few companies in, in Ottawa that do bubble houses, which, which kids absolutely love. Like they, it's sort of like a bouncy house almost um, in terms of like how popular it is. Um, so yeah, we got those. And then I didn't really have to start thinking about the food for a while just because um, it, it wasn't going to be donated. Uh, I did have to pay for the food, uh, which, you know, I totally understand because donating that much food uh, wouldn't really be feasible for most businesses. Uh, and then starting to plan the raffle. So the raffle was definitely one of the ones that took quite a few months to, to put together. And before we get into the raffle, let's talk about the catering. So how did you end up getting it catered and did as far as funding the event were you able to use your raffle and your ticket proceeds in order to cover the costs of all of the expenses or did you have to come out of pocket and then reimburse yourself so i was able to get the um get the food and all the other expenses like performer pay and everything out of the tickets ticket costs and the raffle costs so um so that actually worked out fine because when people bought tickets uh, people I started selling tickets, I guess, early September. And so when I started selling those, it, it was reimbursing me already for the cost of the food and uh, the other expenses. 
And speaking of tickets, so and did you start doing the raffle before you started selling the tickets or did you do them both at the same time? Uh, about at the same time, uh, like I started reaching out to businesses maybe a bit a bit before selling tickets uh, for the raffle. Uh, though it's, it's it is more likely to get them to come on board if they already see that you are your event is um, kind of well underway. Like if you have posters for it, if you have a website already set up. So I did wait a bit um, to contact most businesses just because you know then they can see oh wow I see this beautiful website with the with the event it's a real thing that's happening. Um, so yeah, so kind of around the same time. Absolutely. So you focused on building credibility and building up the event before doing the raffle. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I did contact a few places ahead of time that I already kind of knew and they already kind of knew my company. Um, but yeah, I waited for most of it, like for contacting, say, like museums or uh, kids like fun, fun play places uh, to do for donations. So you started selling tickets in August, right, or September? Yeah, like beginning of September. Okay. And that was three months before the event? Yeah, yeah, because the event was like end of November. So, mm. do you think that you gave yourself enough time in regards to selling tickets three months, or do you wish that you would have done it sooner? Uh, personally, I think that was a, a good amount of time. I could even have done less just because a lot of people, um, they don't necessarily want to commit to getting tickets that far in advance because they don't really know what their schedule is going to be like. Uh, I know for some events, people start selling really early, like many months in advance, maybe even half a year in advance. But personally, I've just found that like customers are much more likely to buy them closer to the date, like within the month. Uh, so just that usually that just kind of worked worked for me. Um, but you kind of have to think about if you've been throwing events in your city and people are likely to buy events, uh, event tickets like half a year in advance, then maybe you go with that. Uh, but for me, I would say like um, like a couple months or I did three months. Some people came on right away and they bought tickets like the second I announced it. Uh, other people waited closer to the date. So we actually ended up selling out tickets. So I even had a wait list of people who uh, wanted tickets, but I couldn't, I couldn't really give it to them. Um, I did kind of cap it off at a certain number, like about 150 guests, just because I didn't, the venue could hold more, like I think they could hold up to like 200 or 300, but I didn't want it to be too, uh, too crowded, I guess. And also because I need to make sure that all the people get a chance to meet the characters. And we couldn't have done that if there were a lot more guests. Yes. And then how long was the actual event? So it was just an hour and a half. Oh, sorry, it was two hours. Um, I feel like having it longer than that would have been a bit much for like young kids, like four, three, four, five-year-olds. Um, so that's another thing that I did differently to most most events, where I find that a lot of the balls that people host there many hours long. Uh, but I found that two hours was a good length because uh, it it is a fair. Even that is a fair amount of time for the younger kids. So I completely kind of agree. A good length. Yeah. And how did you figure out how much you were going to charge for tickets? And did you do like adult parent combo or I'm sorry, parent child combos? Or did you do individual tickets? How did you handle your pricing structure? Yeah. So that also takes a, a while to kind of work out. So what I've been doing in the past is I just like for all my special events, I charge the same amount for kid child tickets. $40 is Canadian. So that would be slightly less American. 
uh, like $40 per a ticket per child. And then depending on what the event is, like if the parents get things to like food or whatnot, I'll charge maybe a bit less for parent tickets. Uh, but for this one, since it was charity, I charged the same ticket price for everyone, uh, for parents and children. So $40 for parents and kids. Um, and then I also had a VIP ticket, which was $60. And then they also got an autograph card or autograph booklet for the characters and then a crowning ceremony. So there was a special time where the VIP guests, they got to go up on stage with either Elsa or Anna, kind of switched. Um, depending on the the time uh, and then they they got a little crown and then picture taken oh that's beautiful and yeah, so it, it was <laughs> did you have any pushback at all in regards to the way that you were managing tickets or the price um well some people did ask like oh or you know do parents have to pay the same amount of kid as kids uh, I think some people were thinking like that they wouldn't have to pay as much just because they're not going to be participating on all the activities. But uh, I did, you know, make it clear that all the proceeds go to make a wish. And so, you know, they're there. That's what a lot of their ticket costs will go to. So I didn't get much, uh, many problems with that. That's good. And you, I mean, you sold out your event and you also had people on the wait list. That's incredible. Now, in regards to when you sold out the event, were you worried at any point that it wasn't going to happen or that you weren't going to be able to get the ticket sales in? And then also, how did you go about marketing your event? Right. So at the start, I sold a few tickets and I thought, oh, that's great. And then there was a big lag and I thought, oh my gosh, am I going to have to cancel it? Um, but then like sort of like October, beginning of like October uh, or mid-October, the ticket sales really picked up. And then I guess early November or maybe mid-November, I had to cancel ticket sales because they were pretty much all sold out. And then I, I even ended up adding on a few more tickets after when people said like, oh, I have an extra like niece who I wants to come with my daughter. I'm like, okay, fine. Uh, you can get another ticket. Um, because it wasn't like a hard hard cap, like it wasn't like we were at the room capacity or anything. Uh, I just sort of had like this number, 150 was like the max, but it wasn't like a hard limit or anything. Uh, so yeah, so that so that worked out fine. And then, sorry, you'd ask one more thing. <laughs> yes, how did you go about marketing the event and actually getting people in? Right, so I uh, just made, uh, special page on our website for it, just kind of outlining, uh, you know, all the activities. And I included pictures from our past events, just to kind of show, you know, what our events are like. Fortunately, like I have quite a fair amount of professional photos from past events. So it, it worked out to kind of highlight what the events would look like. Uh, and then I, you know, made a Facebook, Facebook event. We have a fair amount of people who like see these events that we post on Facebook. I wouldn't say they necessarily follow us on Facebook, but um, a fair amount of people see the events we post, which is good. Uh, and then just marketing it on like posting on social media. So Facebook, Instagram, I don't use Twitter, but uh, we have a fair amount of followers on Instagram, our email list. And uh, I didn't actually pay for any marketing. I was thinking I might have to pay to put up some ads, <laughs> but um, I, I didn't end up having to do that, which was, which was good. And you, did you use a, an, like an event booking platform, like Eventbrite or any of the other ones? Um, I, I did post it there as well, but I was selling tickets to our website primarily. 
So people could buy tickets through Eventbrite if they wanted, but um, most of the ticket sales just came from our website. That's so cool. And did you have anywhere, whenever you captured the leads and like the ticket information from the clients, did you have anywhere like, where did you hear about us? Or, you know, where did you hear about the event? I didn't do that, actually. Uh, I just, I want to get kind of just the bare minimum information, like, you know, Paris name, Charles name, do you have any allergies? Uh, just to make it kind of simpler. Um, that's another thing that I kind of do differently to most people, because I know, uh, it, it is useful for, you know, for future events, but I'm, I'm going to probably post, post the events like everywhere anyway. So it wasn't really a fa big factor for me. Um, another, another thing I did was I made um, just like printout posters to put in up, up in some community centers um, around city and libraries. And uh, I don't know how many people saw them there. It would have been nice to know. <laughs> thinking back on it uh did you see a flyer did you just find us online but um yeah i did i did do that as well that's great and then the last question i have for you in regards to the event is there anything that you wish you would have done differently or anything that you learned that you can take into moving forward for planning future events yeah for sure um so the people who are helping with the event like the day of like volunteers I would have probably met with them ahead of time. Uh, I did tell, I did give like, you know, a fairly detailed email about what, what is, you know, expected, like what you're going to be doing. But I found that I was at the event kind of running around a lot, kind of help telling people, oh yeah, you should do this. You should do this, uh, which was a bit stressful, but it worked out, but it was just, I would have wanted to be like more uh, on board with the volunteers ahead of time. So that was one thing. Also just giving myself more time to set up. This happens to all my special events. I always think, okay, yeah, I'll uh, take like say an hour, uh, an hour beforehand to set up or something. And it always ends up not being enough time. <laughs> this time I took, uh, what was it? Like two and a half hours or something. And I thought, oh, that'll be plenty of time. But honestly, I was rushing at the end too. <laughs> so that was, that was another thing. Always give yourself like, I don't know, double the time to set up. Uh, I probably, yeah, so probably for that, for this event, if I had had more of the volunteers coming in earlier to help set up rather than me um, and a few others kind of doing everything, I probably wouldn't have needed that much time. But yeah, I think just not to underestimate the setup time because it, it takes a while for the decorations, um, for putting out the food, getting the craft table set up, um we did this like little snowman craft and uh yeah it just everything takes longer than you'd expect <laughs> and would you say because how long have you been in business so i started in 2018 so like five and a bit years and would would you say that your reputation and your experience in the community as far as the connections that you've made and the clientele that you've worked with was a catalyst and a contributor to the reason that you were able to sell so many tickets? Yeah, I think so. We were already fairly well known. Uh, there are a few princess party companies in our city, not but not too many. So like compared to like some big cities there where they have tons of princess party companies and it's a little bit hard to be heard over the noise. Uh, we're probably the, the main company in Ottawa. So we already had quite a lot of people following us. So that was definitely a good contributor because 
um, a lot of the people who came to the ball, they had had parties with us before. So they already knew about us. And how much money did you end up raising for Make-A-Wish, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, for sure. I have it right here. So it was just under $5,000. Wow. So, Great yeah. job. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so that was like after we subtracted the expenses, uh, paying the performers, paying the for the food and everything. So, yeah, so I was I was happy about that. And Make-A-Wish was definitely very thankful that we were I'm able sure to do that. We, that was quite a lot more. So we had um, we'd done two years ago, we'd done a tea party for Make-A-Wish, which was a lot smaller, uh, a lot, quite a bit smaller, uh, just because we rented a room that had a, a hard limit for the capacity. And when I sold out tickets, there were so many people who wanted to come who couldn't. And I thought, oh, I just wish I could add them, but I couldn't. So the event was just a lot smaller. But this time the venue was quite a lot bigger, so I could have um, many more guests. So we ended up making a lot more money as a consequence. That's so much fun. Do you plan on doing another one next year? Well, perhaps not next year, but uh, maybe the year after, like I'm thinking every two years, just because the, the events do take quite a long time to plan. Uh, I do other special events throughout the year that aren't quite as big. Like for instance, in, in March, I'm doing another princess tea party and uh, I'm already uh, you know, kind of well into planning that. Um, but just doing a ball with a raffle and getting donations and everything from other businesses, it is, it is quite a big process. So probably won't be doing it as often, but I did love doing it. It was, it was really rewarding. So I'll, I'll be doing another one. Yeah. I can just imagine that planning a big event like that when everything is, you know, your concern, like you have to manage everything. You have to manage the food, the entertainment, the, you know, the people that are going to be helping you at the event, as well as the attendees. It's just so much work and so much yeah. goes into it. So, I mean, that's, I completely understand. Would you have any tips or tricks for anyone that maybe isn't well known in their community and they want to have an event and because they, they want it to help them with their marketing. Now, first, Firstly, right. do you think that events are a good way to assist you with marketing? And then secondly, um, what tips or advice would you give to anybody that's trying to use events as a marketing strategy? Yeah, for sure. I, I think events definitely are a good way to get well known um, because some people who might not want to commit to having a birthday party and paying for all that might be more willing to come to an event and kind of see what your company is about, have the kids interact with the characters then they might be like more likely to book a party later. So I think it's definitely a good, a good way to get more, more customers. Um, and then in terms of like how you can get um, better known, if you're not already sort of well-known in the community, I think when you reach out to the other businesses to help donate to your event, I think they can also help really help spread the word. So let's say you get um, some balloon, this balloon arch uh, donated then you can sort of have a little partnership with them. They might post about your events. Uh, you can post about their balloon company. And then so it, people who are booking a party and they might be getting balloons, then, oh, now they know about the princess party company because that event, that company also is posting about you. So sort of like forming some partnerships uh, like that is another good way to get known for sure. Wonderful. Well, thank you for all those tips and also just for sharing your experience and hosting your own event, which was a nonprofit event for Make-A-Wish. That's so incredible. And I'm so proud of you for everything that you did with that event. And mm -hmm. I would like to ask you, a little, you're very welcome. I would like to ask you a couple more questions before you wrap up today, just so that way we can get to know you better. And also, 
I know for me personally, as well as a couple of the other princesses that are involved in the Bippity community as a whole, all over the world, you know, sometimes the winter can be a really great season for some of us to where we can be booked out. We can have so many corporate bookings. And then for others, you know, just depending on where they're at with their business and also just, you know, where their business is at, because, you know, you could have one season that's a great winter season and you make so much money. And then you can have another year that where you have a really slow winter season. So what tips or advice would you give to someone that's maybe be in a slow season of their business right now? And maybe they're questioning whether or not they should stay in the princess party industry. Maybe they feel defeated and they don't know when their next booking is going to be. And they're just thinking about hanging up their tiara. Tiara, mm -hmm. what would you, what sort of advice would you give? And can you relate to that feeling? Yeah. Yeah. We definitely have a, some slow seasons as well. I'd say like for us, it's in the summer that is a lot slower. I don't know if that's the same for everyone, but um, just because people go away in the summer and they're, uh, it's kind of hard to coordinate parties with friends. Uh, so, I mean, personally, I, I would just take the time to like work on improving your business and, you know, maybe updating your costumes and wigs, learning about how to style wigs properly. That's one thing that I, uh, really don't like doing, honestly. Um, I'm not a, a wig person. Um, I can I can do the wigs well enough, but I do have a another uh, lady in the in the city who does style style wigs for me. So she's really amazing. And maybe finding someone like that or learning how to do it yourself, there are some tutorials and you can definitely learn that. Uh, getting a really good team of performers, training them properly, uh, giving them lots of resources to learn about acting as characters. Uh, so I think just like working on the inner part of your business is a good, good thing to do when you don't have uh, as many bookings. And like, I, this isn't what I, like, I don't do um, the, the company full time. I also do tutoring and teaching. So uh, I might, if I don't have as many uh, party bookings, I might do more tutoring. And uh, I kind of do that all like privately so I can just like decide, okay, I'll, I'll take on more students now sort of thing. So that kind of works out for me. So I don't know if everyone's situation is probably different if they have like, let's say a full-time job and set number of hours, uh, that would be different. But for me, I can sort of decide my hours for both this company and my, my teaching. So that, that kind of works out well. So yeah, I would say not to, not to give up, even if you're not doing it say full time or not doing it as much because if it's something you're really passionate about then uh, you can make it work over time and it might take a little while depending on the competition depending on like how well you're known but eventually it'll it'll work out absolutely and i know as an entrepreneur myself and someone that's been in this industry for such a long time and seen so many of us like either give up or you know go through these rough patches i mean i've gone through rough patches in every single entrepreneurial journey i've ever had and it's like every single time you're going through a really dark time or a rough patch where you know you don't feel like you can do it or you don't you're questioning whether or not it's the right industry or you know you're second guessing your abilities whatever it may be it's like this is a challenge for you like you're in the trenches this is an opportunity for you to really decide if this is the direction that you want to go in and if so why did you get started and how can you use the momentum that you had when you first got started to keep you going now and how can you refocus your energy on doing things that you enjoy rather than on 
running away from the things that are bringing you down. So really trying to refocus your mind. And sometimes yeah. it's nice to just take a week off, you know, where you don't think mm -hmm. about your business. You don't think about yeah. bookings or trying to market or trying to sell. And you just take some time off mentally to just give your brain some creative space again to just mm. be, you know, because sometimes we can be so hard on ourselves to try and, you know, make an X amount every single week or, you know, and just like you mentioned, diversifying your income and, making sure that all of your creative outlets are being used, not just for princess parties, but also what other things are you involved in? I know many women that even run their companies full time and they still diversify their income through other modalities. So whatever other things that they enjoy, they also do those as well. And it's not that you're taking all of your energy away from your princess party business when you do that, but it's that, you know, when you focus too intently on trying to get financial results from one stream of income, it can put too much pressure on that and it can suck out of the all the joy and, and all of the creativity and all the passion mm -hmm. for that right out, right out of your little entrepreneurial spirit. So that's why yeah, I think, sure. like you said, it's so good to have that that additional stream of income or that other passion that you also do because it's like now you can relax and you can be a little less hard on yourself whenever those slow months do come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think so for sure. And uh yeah, especially if it's like, if there are months where you're super busy, it's nice to have a bit of a break or just a change. Like there are some times where I find like, I'm just sort of like constantly, constantly working. So, you know, when there is a week that it's just not as busy, then it is a bit nice to just not have to be on all the time. And yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I completely agree. And, and just taking, like I said, taking that space. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for being a supporter of the Bippity Boppity Bankrolls platform. And I am so excited to see you in April at the 2024 retreat. And just thank you for supporting me and thank you for signing up. And I just really appreciate you because without you, I would not be able to even have this podcast or have this platform or build this community. So thank you, Mary Jean, you are very much appreciated. Oh, well, thank you. And I'm really looking forward to the retreat too. It should be a lot of fun. I, uh, I've been to England before, but I haven't been for many years and I'm really looking forward to it. Yay, me too. And we're going to be at a castle, which is I know, yeah, that's definitely going to be super fun. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And I haven't even shown you guys like the, some of the pictures and like some of the videos it was featured on the BBC. I mean, it was, oh, it's fun. a, Oh girl. And like the little nature parks and the castle grounds are beautifully manicured like gorgeous we have you know how um you have whenever you look out the windows you have like a beautiful like maze with a little fountain in the middle it's so picturesque and gorgeous so i'm really excited about all of it and i'm so excited to meet you in person finally since we've known each other digitally for so many years Mm. But uh, yeah, so we'll go ahead and wrap up today's podcast. And for anybody that's listening in that wants to support you or follow you or ask more questions or just be your princess pal, where can they find you at? Yeah, so on Facebook, we're Fairytale Princess Parties Ottawa. Uh, so you can find us there or on Instagram, Ottawa Princess Parties. Um, so yeah, you can find us there. You can also see our website there, see kind of how I set things up if or just uh, send me a message if you want to ask any questions. Perfect. Okay, well, thank you so much again, Mary Jean, and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you love what you heard and are ready to take massive action to improve your self-perception and your life, please visit our community at joinbippity.com. Again, that's joinbippity.com. We can't wait to offer you the support and the friendship that you need in order to make your dreams a reality. See you soon.